Are you ready to accelerate the growth of your business? Welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. This is the place for business owners, sales leaders, and marketing professionals to get ideas and inspiration to drive exponential revenue growth. Each week, you'll get actionable insights from the world's leading marketing and sales thought leaders and practitioners. Are you ready to grow? Let's join our host, Daryl Amy, author of Revenue Growth Engine. If you want to accelerate revenue growth, try focusing your sales team on ideal clients. I'm talking about the type of clients can really move the needle. Our guest today, Nigel Green, has a lot to say on this topic. He's the author of Revenue Harvest, a sales leader's almanac for planning the perfect year. This has quickly become one of my favorite sales management books. Nigel brings over 15 years experience leading sales and marketing for Fortune 500 companies, mid-market companies, and startups. With all of this diverse experience, whether you're in sales, marketing, or own a company, I think you're going to benefit from the insights Nigel shares today. Welcome back to the Revenue Growth Podcast on the C-Suite Radio Network, the world's largest business podcast network. I'm your host, Daryl Amy, Revenue Growth Architect, helping great companies accelerate growth. This coming week is a very exciting week for me. Tuesday, June 16th is the official launch day for the Revenue Growth Engine book. I've been overwhelmed with the endorsements coming in from people I massively respect, like Jeb Blunt, Mark Hunter, and Mike Weinberg. Jeffrey Hazlett, the founder of the C-Suite Radio Network, also commented on the book saying, if you're not growing, you're not going anywhere. And right now we need to rev that engine, put the pedal to the metal and take off in order to drive and thrive. Daryl's book provides a game plan anyone can put into practice to experience a growth spurt that others can be jealous of and can emulate. Wow, I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Jeffrey. This is definitely the time to grow. It's the time to drive and thrive. So look for the book coming to Amazon on Tuesday, June 16th. I'd love for you to get a copy for yourself as well as the other people on your management team. And when you get the book, you'll also get free access to the Revenue Growth Engine Masterclass, where we'll take a tour of the core concepts in the book. In the Revenue Growth Engine book, I talk about accelerating growth by attracting ideal clients. These are the types of clients that can move the needle for you because they can buy everything that you sell. How do you set up your sales team to land more ideal clients and expand your business inside these accounts? In this conversation, Nigel Green shares his recommendations on how companies can move from geographic territories to account-based territories. This conversation is packed with great ideas. Grab a pen and a notepad and let's learn from Nigel, author of Revenue Harvest. Nigel, welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. It's great having you here today. Daryl, I'm really excited to be with you. Yeah, this is going to be a fantastic conversation. I, I have been devouring your book, Revenue Harvest, a sales leader's almanac for planning the perfect year. I think that you have written what I'd say is now one of my, if not my favorite sales management books. So congratulations. I think this is pure dynamite. Uh, well, thank you. I tell you, it's, it is merely just a regurgitation of everything that I've read and synthesized over the years. So I'm curious, what, um, what is it about the book that, that resonates so well with you? 
Well, there were there were so many things in the book that I thought were were relevant, and one in particular I want to talk about today. But before we dive into that uh, particular aspect of the book, what I really liked about the book is you, you structured the entire book around the the metaphor of farming, and. Uh, when you look at, and I look back at my time managing sales teams, you know, look at the sales management uh, role in general, this really, the, the parallels with farming are really, really strong. They are strong and shame on me that it took uh, leaving a large city like Nashville and moving my family to a farm in rural Kentucky to see those parallels. So you're, you're smarter than me to be able to see that. So it took about a year of living on a farm full time to say, wow, um, all of my friends in this community, their identity is tied to a harvest mm. back in the city all of my friends that really are sales leaders, not just, you know, romanticizing the title, but really living the identity, mm -hmm. their whole life is tied to, did he hit a number or not? And so then I started asking them, well, what, cause they, some grow tobacco, some grow corn, soy, and wheat, some have mm -hmm. smaller gardens. What, what goes into it? How is it different? And they all said, essentially we do these seven things, no matter what we're growing, how many harvest cycles, and I said, wait a minute, if I think about all my friends that do SaaS or they have one big mm -hmm. annual selling season or they sell low market pricing to high contract value, they're not doing these things. They're smoked. Yeah, it is so true. I mean, we get so focused on the number and, and hitting the number at the end of the year. And it's very parallel to a farmer that obviously, you know, it's, it is all about the harvest, but there are a lot of things that happen before the harvest. And if you miss any one of them, you're really going to, you know, put, put the, the harvest, the results in jeopardy. Yeah. You know, so the example, uh, about a month ago, the farmers here started planting corn and they'll harvest the corn in the fall. And it's the staple harvest of the fall. Mm -hmm. So the analogy mm -hmm. is, um, you know, everybody's going to be gearing up for the fourth quarter in the business world. Right. We're getting ready. It's fourth quarter. I got to close and I'm scratching my head saying, you know, the fourth quarter started um, in June. Right. But what, right. We, oh, we were worried about other things in June. We weren't worried about the harvest then. We weren't doing the things that we knew we needed to do in order to have a successful October, November. Yeah, I think the book is, is fantastic from that perspective. And whether you own a company, you're a sales leader, or even our friends that are listening in from a marketing perspective, the, uh, the steps of the harvest and what it takes to prepare for a harvest are just a beautiful parallel to, to what it takes to be successful in sales. So thank you for this book. I, I really think this is, uh, this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite sales management book. And I've read quite a few over the years. Well, thank you. That's really kind. Yeah. So what I really want to talk about today, and, and I passionately believe this uh, and, and talk about it a lot in Revenue Growth Engine is that the key to growing a business is to attract and retain ideal clients, to look for, you know, the old Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, look for the 20% that are going to give you 80% of the results, look for the accounts that really are going to move the needle for your company and be a good fit. And one of the things that just jumped off the page, and uh, it, it definitely, I think I wore a highlighter out on this book, uh, Nigel, but uh, is where you just, you just lay down the gauntlet and you say the geographical territory model is no longer the optimal structure for planning sales results. 
that companies in, as I read from your opinion, really should scrap territories and base their sales structure around accounts. What was the lights on moment for you to come to that conclusion? Well, so maybe I'll, I had a lights on moment back in 2014, but I'll, before I get into my lights on moment, if anyone mm-hmm. is still on the fence about it and you lead a team now, let me ask you uh, probably at the time of this recording or publishing, how many customers, if you're in a territory model, did your team go see today? Mm-hmm. The answer is probably somewhere around zero. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if you need an aha moment, now is your aha moment. So I'll tell you about mine. Mine was back in 2014 when I took over a team uh, that uh, had a territory model. And when we dug into the work you're talking about, looking at the ideal customer profile and the, the 80-20 rule, I found that what was interesting is that some of our largest accounts were in Dallas. We didn't have a rep in Dallas. Mm. They were in Chicago, but the person that covered Chicago lived in Los Angeles and they were flying there. And I said, wait a minute. Well, then that didn't make any sense. So effectively what we realized is that 30% of, we had about 30% of our accounts that weren't in that, um, in that 80, 20 rule, but they met the exact criteria of that ideal customer profile. And the only reason that they weren't a part of that key 20% of accounts is that no one was calling on them because it was out of their territory. Ah, interesting. So because it wasn't in the confines of a state boundary or a zip code, no one bothered to mess with them. And here they were just sending business month over month. Right. Nobody from the business went and met with them. Yeah. And you go, well, wait a second. And I think it's, it's interesting when I sit down with clients, we're doing revenue growth strategies. We'll pull out the client list. We'll pull out the revenue. You stack rank it. You can find out who the top performing clients are. But then as you start going down the list, you start to find these, you know, large, great fit organizations that may not be at the top of a revenue producing customer, but they should be, they definitely could be. And it's like you said, they're not even managed. And I'll tell you what, when I was a sales manager, nothing lit my fire more than going out into the field and, you know, seeing a a great ideal client account out there asking the sales rep about it and having the sales rep go, yeah, I, I, I just don't think they're interested. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? This company should, we should be on their radar all the time, every day. And, and you're, no one's even talking to them right now. And, you know, and, and I think a lot of that just came from the territory mindset of, well, I got my patch of land. I'm going to, you know, grab whatever low hanging fruit I can out of that patch of land and move on. And, and the ideal clients, they, they really ended up, the ideal prospects ended up kind of getting ignored inside that. And what a miss. So I, I agree, you know, when you, when you started diving into the, the tend principle, it's one of the principles of farming is you have to tend the land. Um, and you said that, that sales teams should really, really strongly consider moving from territory to account-based. Um, I, was, I was jumping up and down uh, reading this, this part of the book. I thought it, it was fantastic. What pushback do you get 
and I know you get pushback uh, from from some sales leaders and some salespeople on this concept. What pushback do you get, and what do you say to it? I'm yeah, curious. I say. So first, I say I'm not saying eliminate territories, mm-hmm. and then they their body language changes. So, <sighs> uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I said, what I'm saying is that. So first, yes, every sales rep should have a territory, okay? Mm-hmm. But the word territory really is just an area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And there are seemingly endless ways in which we can define territory. Your company, you, Mr. Sales Leader, have chosen to subscribe to an arbitrary, maybe even lazy model that you inherited that doesn't segment the market the way they want to buy. And if mm-hmm. you will go do the work and define an area of responsibility, create boundaries for your sales team based on a more meaningful definition, I think you'll grow your business better. And so then we begin to do the work on, well, if we're not going to call it Chicago or Midwest or Pacific Northwest, then how then should we segment our customers? And that's when we begin to think about how do they transact with you? Is it one location? Is it one decision maker? Is it one decision maker that makes a decision for multiple locations? So when you start to do that work, it becomes really clear how you should start to segment your market. And sometimes it's by offering, Mm -hmm. sometimes by size of deal. But it starts by saying, I am not telling you to eliminate territories. I'm telling you to rethink them. So there's still a boundary, but those boundaries may have more to do with the characteristics of the account or prospect rather than um, a uh, line arbitrarily drawn on a map, correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that, I mean, it, it's, uh, <laughs> I love the moment of, oh, okay, well, <laughs> territory, and it, it is so interesting being in this moment in history as we've you know gone through the work from home buy from home world that we live in right now where you do all of a sudden realize that uh you know these these lines of state lines or zip codes or whatever really don't matter inside inside the world that that we've stepped into right now so why not take this as an opportunity to develop an account-based uh territory model going forward. Perfect timing for this. What's, yeah, go ahead, Nigel. The last, the last closing thought on that is I, I share this in the book and, and throughout, if you hear me on any other podcast, basically a territory is your list of assigned accounts and mm-hmm. you, you got to figure out what's the minimum and what's the upper threshold. What's the span of control for a top performing rep that is at quota and what's their capacity. And that's how you think through scale. And that's how you know where you're missing opportunity. You know, if, if you if you decide that 65 active accounts that are transacting with you at some regular frequency mm-hmm. and, and the purchase power or, or transaction value is right in your sweet spot, then okay, that's when you when you have enough of those that aren't being served, that's when you need to open a new territory. When you get someone that's at 80 or 85, it's time to split a territory. It's, mm-hmm. It becomes a lot easier to make decisions about a lot territory alignment and territory management. Yeah, absolutely. You've got a, a good, both in current accounts and I would assume target accounts as well, right? When you look at that that territory, yeah, that span of control for a salesperson. I thought the, um, well, uh, one more thing on, on the idea of, of focusing around um, accounts rather than geography. 
is, um, and I love this part of the book where you said, you know, according to the buy-sell hierarchy, firms that make an important contribution to a customer's business issues are less susceptible to pressure from price, competition, features, benefits, et cetera. In other words, the more you can understand uh, the business drivers, the outcomes that that a client wants, the better position you're going to be in the account to succeed. And I think one of the things that can happen when sales reps start to begin, become focused on certain types of accounts is they actually can begin to get a higher level of business acumen and a higher level of, uh, to bring a higher level of trusted advice to those accounts. And they could if they're just a generalist to their patch of land. Um, I'm curious what you found when it comes to, to like just the level of business acumen and conversation that happens when reps get focused like this. Everything you said is spot on. Then the other end of the coin is uh, when you look at this buy sell hierarchy and I can't take any credit for it. It came from new successful large account management written by Miller Hyman in 1991. Mm -hmm. It's not a new book. There's it, it is, but it's still um, probably the most beat up book on my shelf. I use it still to this day. Yeah. The other side of the coin is uh, when you are a leader and you begin to evaluate the competencies of your team. And as you're riding along with them, even in a virtual setting, Mm -hmm. comes the litmus test. If you, if your reps can only have conversations on level three or below where it's about pricing features, functionality, you either have two things to do. You either have to skill them up or replace them with someone that's capable of really truly being an extension of your customer's business mm -hmm. or your competitors will be in that account and they will have the business because they are thinking about how to help the customer grow the business, mitigate risk, not just buy your stuff. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the game changer. And I, you know, I just think of my conversation last week with Steve Lashansky um, of, you know, the author of the sales revolution. I think of conversations that I've had over the years. I mean, this, this whole concept of value is critical and value comes from really understanding the client's business their goals, their challenges, the outcomes they want, and being able to build that bridge. And sales reps, you know, I've always uh, believed that the number one deficiency in the B2B sales space is business acumen. You know, that, that there is a real challenge in most sales organizations with business acumen. However, I think one of the best ways to grow your business acumen is to be involved in discussions with executives in your current client base. And the more you focus the, the salespeople on specific types of accounts, the more confident they can feel going in and having business level conversations um, in, instead of defaulting back to the feature advantage benefit price world, right? Spot on. One little comment about value. I was talking with Jeremy Donovan yesterday. Jeremy wrote Leading Sales Development in Predictable Prospecting. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about value reviews. Mm. And value is very important. And you hear, you hear executive sales leaders and sales reps talking about value. The only truth about value is that the only real measurement is a perceived measurement from the customer. Mm -hmm. And that should be where value reviews start and stop. Mm -hmm. To what extent does the customer perceive your offering to be valuable? And that takes a different type of selling to not just assert or to give them, tell them, uh, consult, tell 
them what the value is, but to, to pull it out of them and, and extract it. Yeah. Powerful, powerful. And you know, the other, the other part of the book that I, I really enjoyed as well is, um, is talking about generalists versus specialists. So we've been talking about territory versus um, more of an account focused um, dividing of the sales team. Um, in the book, you also talk about looking at the actual role itself of sales and saying, you know what, does it make sense for every person on my sales team to be conducting every phase of the sales and client management process? And I think the answer in most cases, at least from your perspective, is no. <laughs> we should probably have more specialists in sales roles and generalists. Talk to me about how you see that playing out inside companies that you're working with right now? I think of it as a spectrum. Okay. So on, on one end of the spectrum is the generalist and on the other end is the specialist and you can commit sins on each side of the spectrum. You can be overgeneralized. And I largely speak to that in the book, mm-hmm. but I want to caution you about the other end of the spectrum, which is becoming a little bit more prevalent in the marketplace, particularly with SaaS companies. Mm-hmm. They're too specialized where you have an SDR that hands it over to an AE, then over to uh, this type of account manager, then an onboarding specialist, then the right. success specialist. And it's like, whoa, buddy, what happened to John? I was working with John and it was going great. Yeah, so, I've been a part of that motion. That That is uh, sometimes it's uh, mind numbing the different people that get brought into the deal. So that's a really good caution. So there's a spectrum. I don't know where you fit on it. The whole point of that section of the book is to get you to think and recognize that you probably could stand to have some sense of specialization on your team. Mm-hmm. But remember, specialize to the extent and through the lens at which it makes sense from the customer. Don't specialize because it makes sense for you. Specialize because it's easier for the customer to understand and actually get the, the big V word we talked about the value of that stage of your sales process. Mm-hmm. Because if, if I just got off a prospecting call and now I'm going to have to put on this hat of going back to an existing customer and think about that second or third transaction within that account, two different, two different sales. One, yeah. I'm focused on building rapport and credibility. The other one that's already there. And it's more about just getting down to, to value, but I've already, I've already been exercising that muscle of rapport and credibility building that I don't get to the value quick enough with that existing customer. And so it's really hard to go back and forth and oscillate at different parts of the sales funnel. And so I think it's up to the leaders to decide where are the clear places in your funnel where you need to pass the baton. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, in the book, you talk about uh, one of the best places to really give this some thought is at the top of the funnel and, and looking at, you know, your team. And I, I look at a lot of sales teams uh, that I've worked with over the years. They have a really mature uh, sales force for the most part that has client relationships and, you know, and all of that. And then there's always a deficiency of prospecting because of that. And like you said, they're in the mode of account management and, you know, and, and, and all that. And, and that is important. Sometimes the prospecting gets, you know, if, if that part of the business to use the farm analogy, if seeds aren't being planted, you're going to be in trouble uh, come harvest time in the fourth quarter or whenever that is for you. Um, I, I think the concept of 
of looking very seriously at, at SDRs to get a consistent motion of prospecting and business development is something that a lot of sales teams really could benefit from. Yes, I, I would agree with that. And it's um, the reason why, so two things, it's always ignored, right? Really good account managers and really successful reps, they don't prospect anymore. Uh, so that's, that's just a, it's not a bad thing. It's just a reality. I think a lot of the reason why we don't spend as much time on the top of the funnel is because I think it's the, it's the stage of the selling process that's changed the most. And I think it's probably one of the more intimidating uh, aspects mm. of the role for a sales leader because it has been affected the most by technology. Mm-hmm. It's been changed the most by buyer sentiment. Mm-hmm. And it forces a leader to change more. And so they tend to just focus on things that they know well. And look, if, if you pay attention to the tools and the techniques at the top of the funnel, there's something new every day. Mm-hmm. It, it's ever-changing landscape. I thought what was really interesting in, in the book, and we, we talk a lot on the podcast and, and in the Revenue Growth Engine, it's all about marketing and sales being aligned around attracting and retaining ideal clients. And I thought it was interesting that you actually recommended, as I recall, that SDRs sit in the same department with marketing. I don't know that I've seen that happen before, but I think that's a really smart practice. Marketers are the best SDRs and they would never ever admit it to you because it's right. It's, it's, you know, it's too unbecoming of a sophisticated, well-groomed uh, marketer. And I'll say that with a little bit of love. So sure. just by putting your, your knuckle draggers, uh, your sales development reps in the room <laughs> with them, they're going to learn from osmosis. They're going to hear all these ideas. Uh, they're going to see uh, the changes that they're making to the website that may not ever make it out to the field. Mm-hmm. They're going to see different versions of PDFs up on the monitor that everybody's talking about they're going to soak up so much institutional knowledge about your brand and the language that you use in the, in the marketplace. They are going to be really dangerous. If you'll just put them in there, just physically put them in there. Don't, don't assign them to anybody. Don't ask for any of the marketing time. Mm -hmm. Just have them sitting there and listen. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think that's really smart. And as you said, the, the SDR top of the funnel role has become so much more technologically involved in the tactics and the, the tools that are available. Um, and, and those tools often are pretty closely tied to the marketing platforms themselves. So just that the logic of putting those people together um, really does, does make a lot of sense. I thought that was a really good point I wanted to bring out from the book. So man, such good stuff in here, Nigel. I, I'm, I, uh, I've been uh, talking this book up and I'm so uh, excited to be able to, to talk with you today and, and uh, share some of these ideas. I can't believe we're, we're running to the end of the podcast already. This went really quick, but I'm curious if you could say, you know, just one thing to the company owners and sales leaders out there. And, and I, I just want to focus on the season that we're in right now. We're obviously in a time as we talk a lot on the C-suite network about just the fact that this is a time where we've got to drive and thrive. I mean, this is, you know, this is a really critical uh, inflection point in the history 
of the economy and our country and, and all of that. And I truly believe that salespeople are going to be the ones that are going to pull this economy forward. And the people that lead those salespeople, the sales leaders are the linchpins. So and they're also probably pretty tired and exhausted right now. What would you say to the sales leaders uh, just by word of encouragement as we look forward into the, the balance of 2020 and beyond? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good place to end. I would say that there is a lot to be optimistic about as a sales leader. Mm-hmm. There's probably never been a time in recent history where your role is more valuable to the recovery or the, the growth of your business. However, with that uh, great opportunity comes real serious consequential responsibility. And here's where I'm going with that. Uh, while I'm very optimistic, I know because I spend my entire day working with really talented sales leaders that are forced to make really hard decisions about good people. The role of selling is changing and it's changing fast because customer sentiment is changing. Mm. Your entire pipeline, everything that you have as an opportunity is up for grabs. Uh, all your historical data is not as relevant because businesses are pivoting. Uh, everything is changing. So now the work you have to do is assess how best do we transact and do I have the right type of people doing it? And the hard reality is that some of your top performers are not going to emerge from this as top performers because they're just not wired to sell in Zoom all day. Mm. So they don't have the energy and, and they don't bring all of the real measurable value that they do in person. You're going to have to really think through how to repurpose, retrain, or allow them to go be successful somewhere else. And that's, that's a hard thing to end on, but mm-hmm. I'm optimistic that look, leadership requires courage and to do the, difficult things. So do the work. And if you need help, um, I love the predictive index. I think it's the best tool out there for understanding job target versus behavioral characteristics of a person. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd be happy to to show anybody how to use that and redefine the job target and make sure you got the right people doing it because there's nothing better from, from leading it from a leadership perspective than having a team that loves their job every day and is fired up to do it. And there's nothing worse than being a seller that works for a sales leader that's asking you to do things every day that just don't work, don't make sense, don't fit your natural tendencies. That's Mm -hmm. just a recipe for a failed leader. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is, um, you know, this is a critical time. And I, you know, I just want to say huge, um, and I think you'd agree, just hats off to the sales leaders. This, This last season has been a really tough um, tough season to lead through. And I've seen so many people doing it, um, with, uh, with excellence, with hard work, um, with good attitudes, uh, most of the time and, and really, you know, inspiring and leading their team. And I, you know, I, I think when we look back on, on the crisis that we've gone through and, you know, hopefully we'll emerge from, um, strong, but when we look back, we'll realize that, that sales leaders played a really big role in holding all of this together. Oh, there's no doubt. I'm already seeing it. So be encouraged if you're listening. Yeah. This is this is your day. Yeah, it really is. Nigel, how can uh, how can people get a hold of this great book? Yeah, you can go you can get it anywhere books are sold, but I'll tell you if you go to therevenueharvest.com, you'll save about $10 from getting it off Amazon and I'll sign it. 
And, nice. Uh, be a good way for us. Yeah, sign every copy that's bought from the revenueharvest.com. If you buy five or more copies, um, you automatically I'll get I get pinged and I'll schedule an hour to work with you and your team. We can talk for whatever about whatever you want. Talk about the book. We can talk about anything you want um, for an hour. So I think that's um, for a hundred bucks or so. That's about the easiest hour you'll get. So yeah, yeah no that's doubt. That's what I would say. Fantastic. I may buy five, five more books. This has been such a great conversation. Nigel, thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. And to all of our listeners on the Revenue Growth Podcast, thank you for who you are. It's, it's meant the world um, seeing the reviews that are coming back. Um, it's meant a lot this week as we've launched the book, seeing um, all of the, the feedback coming back on the book. And, I, you know, as we've been talking about in this podcast, right now is the time to drive and thrive. So I want to encourage you, um, do the work, do the planning, put it in motion. And uh, as we say at the end of every podcast, let's get going and let's get growing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Would you like to get complimentary access to the Revenue Growth Engine audiobook? Just text the word REVENUE to 21000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book. You'll get instant access to the audiobook so you can get ideas to help you grow your revenue so you can scale your impact. Text the word REVENUE to 21000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book to get instant access. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you found ideas to help you drive exponential revenue growth so your business can make more of an impact. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to like or subscribe. It also helps us spread the word if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. Of course, we'd love it if you would share this with your friends. Together, we are growing revenue so we can scale our impact.